I get a green light. That's all good. Well, it's good to see uh, those of us that have been able to make it out today, and uh, I pray the Lord will just bless our time together. Uh, we want to uh, continue on with our studies as we uh, take a look at the Word of God. Let's take the Bible and let's go to Daniel chapter 8. We're going to pick up from there. And, uh, you know, as we study the Bible, there's, I've got to be careful not to overcomplicate things because I've learned a lot of times that many things that have happened in my own particular life is uh, the things that I see are necessarily for my own good, not for everybody else's good in particular. And so the thing that I want us to look at today begins with what we see uh, with Daniel chapter 8, and then, of course, we're going to be going backwards and forwards to take a look at a few things together. So I'd like for us to take our attention, go down to verse 15, as we make our study together today. Daniel chapter 8, verse 15, And it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision, and saw for me, then, behold, there stood before me the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uliah, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground. But he touched me and set me upright. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed the end shall be. The, the ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now behold, oh, excuse me, now that being broken, whereas four stood up before it, four kingdoms shall stand out of the nation and not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And the power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in the heart by peace, and shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told, is true. Therefore shut, the, shut up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted, and was sick certain days afterwards. I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astounded at the vision, but none understood it. Let us pray. Father, again, I want to thank you for your blessings, and I pray that you will help us now to understand the things that are written from Scripture. And, Lord, that you will guide us and that you will help us to not only see the things that are written, but, Lord, that we might have a clarity of understanding in all the things that you show us. Now, Lord, I pray that you will give good understanding, that you will guide and bless. Lord, we thank you for this precious day, but let us not forget that this day is a day in which we honor you above everything else. And so guide us and watch over us and help us now to understand the things that are given. In Christ we pray. Amen. As we begin our study today, uh, it's important for us to know why we see all the things happening. 
Now, please understand that. One of the things that we see, especially with Daniel, is that Daniel focuses upon the things that are there as God has given to him. So if you will, Brother John, I want you to get this image, and I put this image with you. It's beyond the, this slide. Let's go to the next slide. This is all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now, I gave you something similar to that, and I thought, you know, it's one thing to explain it, where we, all the people have come from, but it's another thing to see it. And so if you take a look, and let me just walk over here to the uh, screen so you can see a little bit better. Uh, when you take a look at the screen, you notice that we see every tribe that is made mention out of Genesis chapter 10 to see where things begin to, trans, to, to progress and go forward. So you see the different names. There's Mezraim. I, I always like to point out Mezraim because right in the middle is Ra. And if you ever think about this, is that Ra was the, the sun god that the Egyptians uh, would literally worship, those that came out of this particular Hamite region. We also see Put. I don't know how many of you all recognize this, but Put is also a region in North Africa. And literally, everywhere you look, this was where you began to see a lot of the influences that occurred, especially right over here. Now, Mount Ariat is right up in this area. There's Mount Ariat. There's the Ark. And you can see that when the people began to push southward, they went towards this what we now call the Persian Gulf area. A lot of times, people misunderstand why they would move from Mount Ariat to where they had the ark. And I really believe that it was a requirement of them to leave. Not only did they have to move to this area, but they were working for, looking for a warmer climate. Remember this, the ice age had already begun, and so the ice had literally surrounded the earth, and it began to you know, regress from off the face of the earth. This would have been a much warmer climate. And so when you take a look at what now to call the fertile crescent, which is this area right here, there would have been a place for animals. There would have been a place for people. Uh, it would have been uh, very commodious, if you will, to living. And so that's why we see so many people arise in this area. Babel is right about here. So Babel was now in the land of Babylon, and many people are still looking for Babel. How much they were able to build it, I don't know. But we see Nimrod, and this again would have been in this particular region, that they uh, progressed out. Well, after the confusion of the languages, notice that everybody went in their opposite directions, all right? Here's where Shem ended up. This is over here where you saw the Canaanites. Uh, you know, when you come over here to uh, Ham in those particular areas. There's Canaan. If you notice, it's in purple on this screen. Here you have Japheth, and Japheth began to go back up in this region, the colder climates. Later on, you see where you have Magog. Magog would go up here into Russia. You also see uh, Tubal, which now would go in. They started off in this part of India, or excuse me, in Asia Minor, and then they would progress into other areas. The reason that I think that this is so important for us to understand is because God focuses right here. There's where God's attention is going to be. The entire Bible, I mean, we are not going to ignore the fact that in America, we are seeing the American Indians come into place. There's a lot of people that they're speculating, how did the Indians get there? 
uh, when we go into Australia, why do we have the Aborigines people? And yet they're very dark-skinned versus Africa, where you also have a lot of dark-skinned people. Why is it that we see uh, a, a little bit more of the Asianic look in the American Indians, and why do they uh, uh, happen to uh, go in that direction? Well, there's one verse, and I want you to see this, that kind of lets me know why that attention is so great there. Let's go to Genesis, back to chapter 10. And if you will, we're going to come right back here to Daniel. But in Genesis chapter 10, uh, we notice that there was a, a statement that has been made in regards to um, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, according to Shem. Let's go to verse 21, and we'll see where this occurred. And unto Shem also the father of the children of Eber, and the brother of Japheth, the elder, even unto him the children were born. And the children of Shem, Elam, and Asher, and Aphaxad, and Lud, and Aram, and the children of Aram, Uz, and Hol, and Gether, and Mash. And Aphaxad begat Selah, and Selah begat Eber. And unto Eber were born two sons. The name was Peleg. And I want you to pay in particular this statement. For in his days was the earth divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. Now, verse 25 is the one I want you to see. This is in reference to the dividing of the earth. Now, uh, and, and again, this is nothing against Brother Ken Ham. I, I think he does a marvelous job in trying to uh, help us understand the history. But in his mind, the separation of the earth occurred during the flood, meaning that the two land masses were now separated. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that there was one large land mass, and then sometime after the flood, the, the, the earth began to, to separate. Now, where Ken Ham goes in, he makes the statement that, uh, in verse 25, that this was probably the time of Babel, where the earth was divided. Now that's where he takes it. The only problem I have with it is the people at this time were never referred to as the earth. So the inhabitants of the earth, yes, but not the earth. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, it said, and God formed the land and caused it to be together, which literally meant it rode upon the waters, and he called that earth. Now, my thinking is the people were scattered during the days of Nimrod. They went to their different locations, and then the Lord separated the earth. And he caused the American Indians now to go over all the way to, if you will, the, um, the western part of the world. We also see that the Chinese were moved over. The Aborigines uh, would be down in the Australia area, the African nations. Now, who's right? I don't know. We'll ask the Lord when we get there. But it just makes more sense to me. And I've had so many people ask me this one question about why we see this particular area, why are we ignoring all the other cultures. Here's what's interesting. I want you to get this. We are never ignoring any of the other cultures. Now, there's Babel, right? And remember this, is that at when, as long as Babel was there, the people were gathered. All these nations had focused upon Babel. They did not spread. They did not go forth. It wasn't until God confused the languages that we began to see the movement away from Babel. Now, they carried their religion with them. 
One of the areas that we looked at is like if you go to India, you will see the images of Babylon. And you say, what's the image of, the ba of Babylon? There they had the ziggurat. There they had uh, Semiramis, there they had Tammuz, they were of a different name, and there they had one chief god. How many of you all know this, is that in every culture, you know, leading up to this separation, there was uh, a religion that had spread out, like in Asia, they talked about how that on the back of a turtle, came all the people in a vessel, and when that vessel was like an egg, and when it broke forth, all living went upon the earth. That is a depiction of what happened during uh, Noah's time. The people had now come out of the ark, and they scattered out into the world. The same thing holds true in, I don't know how many of you know this about the American Indians. There is a place up in Ohio, and I want you to get this, it's called Serpent Mound. How many of us know what's in the mouth of the serpent in a serpent mound? Believe it or not, it's an egg. And many people have tried to figure it out. But do you realize that in another culture that came out of this area, there was a serpent that pushed the egg to shore, and when it broke forth, out came the people. I am a firm believer that what we see in, uh, even in Locust Grove, Ohio, where you have the uh, serpent mound, that egg is a representation of Noah. And they want to make it a great secret. I believe it was very religious. The same thing holds, you realize the Aztec and the Incas, they had their great ziggurats that they built. Where did they get the idea of the ziggurat? They got it from all the way over here at Babel, you know, in the town of Babel or in the land of Babel. We also see the same thing holds true with uh, the pagodas in uh, the Orient. That if you notice, they're tiered up. And each one of those tiers is a representation. And they all carried with them the story of Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. It was completely different for other areas, but that is a tradition that we need to remember. In Daniel chapter 8, all of this is coming back together. Now, this is why I want you all to see this. In Daniel chapter 8, there is, first of all, from 15 to 27, notice once again that the statement that was made, this is for the end time. Now, I want you to get this. Notice what happened when we go back in, uh, verse 23. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to full, a king of fierce countenance. Who is that king of fierce countenance? I believe this is in reference to the Antichrist. So, notice again, we are only seeing a snippet. One of the things that was required of Daniel to study so much was that as he began to study, he could see the images, but he didn't have a clear understanding. It took someone like Gabriel to come in and explain to him, there's going to be a king of fierce countenance. And notice what it says. And understanding dark sentences. Never has there ever been a king that has had that kind of role, or had that kind of ability. Even if we go to Hitler, and remember this, as Hitler was uh, trying to bring in the Third Reich, which means the third uh, evolution of the Roman Empire. That's what he wanted. But even Hitler did not understand dark sentences. He did not have that. He wanted every religion brought into his power, but he didn't have it. Now, once again, you had the Roman Empire, you had the Charlemagne Empire, and then finally the Hitler Empire. Look at verse 24. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, 
where, who is it that has power that's not his? That's going to be, again, the Antichrist who possesses and has the power of Satan within. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Do you realize that that one statement that we see in verse 24 is speaking of what the Antichrist shall do? Look once again. He shall destroy wonderfully. Do you realize that by just speaking, he could bring the death upon a, a nation of people, a kingdom of people, a continent of people? There's going to be, you know, and a lot of people ask me, what continent is he going to wipe out? I don't know. But the, it's going to be a continent that is not going to literally supply any particular means or abilities to his kingdom. And so... Many people have questioned who that's going to be. My personal feeling is the kingdom that is out of Africa, the whole continent of Africa. Now, once again, but notice, and he shall prosper and practice and destroy the mighty and the holy people. So when you think about the holy, once again, the, re the saints have been redeemed upon the earth, and they shall be with the Lord waiting for his return. So the one people that he's going to try to destroy will be what we find in Revelation chapter 12. Let's go over there real quick, shall we? In Revelation chapter 12, notice again that we find the practices of the Antichrist as he wants to destroy. Now there's an entire picture that is here in chapter 12. I want you to get this beginning of verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon at her feet, under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. This is Israel. This is Israel. Now, there's two things that we want, want to see what's going on out of Israel. And she being with child pride, tra tra travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Now, there's two things that I've heard uh, historians make mention of. Number one, this is Jesus' birth. But the other one is a nation ready to be born. Do you realize the struggle? There, there's a good movie that I would recommend almost anybody to watch if, if you so inclined. And it was introduced to me by another historian uh, who's now gone home to be with the Lord, Brother David Lee. And he said, if you want to see a good black and white movie, watch the movie Cast a Giant Shadow. And it, it did not receive a lot of publication, but it was about the birth of Israel. And this was after World War II. Matter of fact, one of the stars of that movie was Kurt Douglas. Kurt Douglas is Jewish, or was Jewish. And so the fact of the matter is, he would go in and talk about the struggle of becoming a nation in itself. But let's go on. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven. Once again, this is all depiction of Satan in his power. And did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered to devour her child as soon as it was born. Reality is, I believe verse 4 is depicting and describing Jesus Christ. Now, why do I believe that? Remember this, Satan did everything in his power to try and destroy Jesus even before he was born. 
And then after his birth, we can go back and read Luke chapter 2, we can read Luke chapter 1, we see uh, Matthew, chapter, Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, there we go. We can see all the things that goes on in the birth of Jesus and the desire to destroy him even as he was a baby. And notice, and she brought forth a man-child, once again Jesus Christ, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God to his throne. Once again, this is Jesus. He ascended into heaven, he has ascended into glory, and he's waiting there. Look at verse 6, though. Once again, there's a, there's a change. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. That number I want you to remember, because it's going to come into place here in a little bit. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought with his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, the devil and Satan, which delivereth, deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud noise saying in heaven, Now is come salvation, and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, and accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives until death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. There it is again, of the sea. Of the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he perceived the woman which brought forth the man-child, this is Israel again, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, and she might fly into the wilderness unto her place. Now, this is the women of Israel that shall be brought into this wilderness area. Now, one of the things that Tim LaHaye and Jeff Jeffries did in their book, they, they, it was like the Lord had called the children of Israel apart and there in the wilderness. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it, it makes for good entertainment. Uh, and she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Once again, 1,203 score days. And the serpent cast out his mouth water as a flood after the moon, that he might call some, uh, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Once again, even Satan realizes that if he can cause a great flood, well, where's that great flood going to come from? There's got to be a dam in that area. And I believe that he's going to cause the dam to be uh, opened up, and that great wall of water is going to come down to destroy the people. But watch what happens, verse 16. And the earth, and the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth, and swallowed up the flood and the dragon, that which the dragon cast out of his nostrils. So once again, everything that we see is... You know, all in depiction before us. Now let's go back and let's go to Daniel chapter 8. And, and again, it's going to be my responsibility to try to make everyone see this carefully and clearly as we go in. So when we see this, the Mede Persians and the Greeks, 
and when we see them come to power, and then we see the four uh, images, or the four kings that are going to rise up after the uh, other image, understand this, that these are just the beginning of the latter times. Look at verse 3 of chapter 8 of the book of Daniel. And in the latter time of their kingdom, and the transgressors are come to full, a king of fierce countenance, and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. So understand this. There is a lot that we have to put into place and have a lot of understanding if we are going to see the fullness of these things come to pass. That's why Daniel chapter 9 is going to be so important for us to have the clarity over. But let's go ahead and let's go on down and let's see some more. Uh, in verse uh, 25, and it says, And through his policy also shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. Now, what kind of craft is going to prosper in his hand? Do you realize that in the book of Revelation, it speaks of an image that is going to come to life? Nebuchadnezzar cannot cause his image to come to life. No other image in all of, of, in all of ancient history, none of that can come to life. But in his hand, this, in, this individual can now bring life to an individual. Some people say it's a robot. I don't know. I've not been there. I can't tell you. But again, he will magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. This is where we see the four images of the Revelation chapter 6. Remember, he comes in on a white horse and declaring peace. But right after him comes war. Look what it says again. And by peace shall destroy many. Peace does not destroy. Peace brings peace. It was interesting. After World War II, uh, the English Broadcasting Company, at that time it was BBC, they had a, a, a message that came in where they would have their news program. And quite literally, the news announcer said, I have no news. There's no news for the day. There's no destruction, there's no hatred, there's nothing to report. I just want to play music. Well, when real peace comes in after war, after the, the process of war, then we begin to see where that real peace is going to occur. Did you notice here it says, peace is going to be a destructor. Peace is going to destroy. And he shall stand up against the prince of pe uh, princes, and he shall be broken without hands. Once again, in verse 25, this is where we are now going to be seeing his power and his glory. Once again, all of these things are going to come to place. Now, I backed up a little bit, and I want to go to the next slide, and I want you to see this. So this gives us a depiction of... Of, and, and again, I didn't give you the color depiction, but you can see that uh, in the handout that I gave earlier. It's on in the uh, bulletin on the back of the prayer list. But I want you to get this next part. When Daniel saw this, Daniel did not see all the way, or he did not experience even the Greeks. He barely experienced the Medo-Persians. I found this slide, and I want you to see this as well. All right, Daniel, when we take a look at his life, Daniel happened right around this area, about 605. This was at the, what we call the uh, Neo-Babylonian period. And so Nebuchadnezzar was the one that marched off all the Jews into his area. Now, this is all speculation. Some say that Daniel lived at this time. I don't know when Daniel was carried away. 
But we know this, or I believe that he was a young teenage uh, Judaite, probably uh, because he was brought into the, the area of the eunuchs, and he was made a eunuch himself, I believe. Uh, I think that this was all a depiction of what was shown to uh, Jeremiah and so forth. That's why you have Jehoiakim, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all of this. Well, during this time frame, this is where Daniel lived most of his life, during the Nebuchadnezzar period. And it was after Nebuchadnezzar that we begin to see a few others. We see evil Merodach. We see uh, all, a lot of the other kings. But right at, towards the end was Belshazzar. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. In 539, we now see uh, a new, the Medes Persians come into power. And when the Mede Persians come into power, they kept Daniel in his position. They did not get rid of Daniel. They got rid of everybody else, but they didn't get rid of Daniel. Daniel lived till about 538, maybe a little longer, I'm not sure. So he would have only seen the Mede Persians for about a year uh, in, in their power and in their presence. Now, notice again, this is Daniel's life. And if this was part of Daniel's life, then he understood just a little bit of what's going on with the history. Now, I want you to go back just for a moment. In, in Daniel chapter 8, look at verse 1. And it was in the third year of the king of Belshazzar. So now get this. In about the third year of King Belshazzar, do you realize that this vision happened during this time frame, in the very beginning of Belshazzar's reign. And yet, the rest of Belshazzar's life, this was, a, this was a difficulty that he had to deal with. If we go all the way back to Daniel chapter, if we go back to Daniel chapter 6, you'll see that there is a mention of the Mede-Persians when it came to Darius. In verse 1 it said, And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Once again, Daniel was elevated to that position uh, in, in what we see going on there. So this was at the end of his life. But it was, again, very clear to us that it was pointed out that in Daniel chapter 8, in the beginning of Belshazzar's reign, but only the third year into his reign, Daniel was shown this vision. Now, here's a problem. And, and not a problem, but here's something I want us to all see. Daniel was asleep or he was disturbed in the night by all the visions that came in. And as Daniel was disturbed, you know, he, he was scratching his head. What does this mean? What is going to happen? I don't understand it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And that's why when we see this, when it said the statement, uh, verse 16, it said, And I heard man's voice between the bank of Uliah, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. There is a responsibility that God said, I want you to see the vision, but I want you to have a clarity of the vision as well. Now, there's a lot of things in the Bible that, you know, there's a lot of argument. I mean, there's people that they want to argue over the end times. They want to argue about the post-millennial position. They want to talk about the amillennial position. There's some that are mid-trib, there's some that are post-trib, there's some that are uh, pre-trib like myself. And so the question is, is that who's right? 
The reality is, is that we have a responsibility to learn the scriptures on our own. You're trusting me to study the Word of God in such a way that when I study it, that I can present it in a very lively way. But at the same time, it has to match with Scripture. Now, here's the thing. There are some things that are chronological. There are some things that aren't. And many times when I fall on my face before God and pray, it's one that I have to say, Father, help me to understand the things that are given. Remember this, even in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel began to see the four states, if you will. He began to see the first state, which was the Babylonian state, which he lived in. Then he began to see the Mede-Persians, which had not come into the, the power yet. And after that would come in the next one, which would be the, the Greek Empire. Then there came the savage beast. And it was not given a name to the savage beast. Do you realize that the city of Rome was already in power to an extent? In 753 B.C., Rome had started. I made mention of this last week. But it had been defeated over and over and over again. One of the things that I pointed out in the, uh, the defeat of the... Um, of Rome was that there was one in particular where you had Hannibal that came over and began to pressure the beast, if you will. Now think about this. Hannibal came over with elephants and was able to take and to destroy Rome, or you know, a lot of people say, well, he really never did approach Rome, he didn't do this. Whatever the case is, he, de he approached Italy. He got into the outskirts of Rome, if you want to go that far with it. But in, the reality is, is that when we study it, we begin to see a little bit more of what is now going to take place here. I believe that with Han Hannibal came the beginning of the Roman Empire as we shall see it. Not only did you have Seleucus that was going to come out of the Greek Empire, who was now going to combine the four kings, and he was going to be pretty fierce, but you begin to see the unity that occurs and the rod of iron that occurs as well. All this is going to happen. So I don't want to get into any more, but that takes us to where we're at at this moment. We pray the Lord will continue to bless and direct. Let's be dismissed in a final word of prayer, and then we'll go, get, go forward. So, Lord, be with us now. Guide and watch over us, and may we rejoice into you in all things. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. All right. We're dismissed.